All right. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time of the day that you're listening to this. This is week number four and we are in Acts chapter four as we work through uh, the sequel to the, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is the second book that Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus and it's the continuation of the Jesus story. Uh, Jesus at this point is no longer physically on the earth, but he is at work through his disciples and his apostles, and we're picking up right really in the middle of a, of, of a, of a story as we start chapter 4, uh, and I got Jason with me. Jason, you ready to talk about Acts chapter 4 today? I am just so ready to hear what happens next. All right, so this is a continuation from chapter 3, and chapter 3 finds uh, Peter and John uh, coming to the uh, into the entrance of the temple, and there's the man that is... Um, he's been lame all of his life, and they heal him, and that of course causes great amazement and astonishment, and then Peter and John capitalize on that opportunity with a captive crowd and began to preach Jesus. And they preach uh, really the same message that had been preached in chapter 2, that he is God's son and you crucified him. And you got people that are now being responsive, as was the case previously, uh, when the gospel is preached, they're responsive to that sermon. And in this particular case, we, we've got folks that are uh, excited about that message, but there's also folks that are not excited about that message. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4 in verse number 1, where we're told that as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I find it interesting that the, we're told there in verse 1 that, uh, that as they were speaking to the people, so this, this is the, essentially um, many of the major players in the Sanhedrin council who come out, and they come out just mid-sermon. You know, we're not even going to let these guys yeah. finish talking and wrap up their sermon and as we stand and as we sing. Uh, they're just going to come <laughs> and just bust in into the middle of this and break this up. And you can imagine probably the commotion that it caused just as they're making their way to the front. You know, you've got this throng of people that are uh, assembled there here on Solomon's portico and uh, or around that area here at the kind of the outer uh, the outer courtyard of the temple, and they're pushing and shoving their way through to get to Peter and John uh, to get them to, to stop speaking. The ESV uses the expression in verse 2, they were greatly annoyed uh, at what was going on. Does the New American Standard use a different phrase? Uh, greatly disturbed. Disturbed, annoyed. Uh, they just don't like it. And in particular, two things are mentioned. Number one, that they were teaching the people. Um, just the fact that they're even standing up there and acting in an authoritative way, te teaching people um, the things that they had to say. And then the second part, probably the more disturbing part, is that they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And we know why that would be particularly annoying or disturbing to the Sadducees, and that's why. Well, in Acts 23, 8, um, we are filled in with a little bit of uh, Sadducee, uh, ism trivia trivia exactly and um, Acts 23 8 says the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection nor an angel nor a spirit but the Pharisees acknowledge them all so this the Sadducees here their big hang-up is whoa we can't be talking about 
the resurrection because that's not a thing. Yeah. That doesn't exist. Yeah. And this was actually something that uh, back in Mark's gospel, they had already crossed wires with Jesus about. You remember that they came to him in Mark chapter 12 with their big you know, wild hypothetical scenario because they wanted to try to catch him and, and disprove the idea of a resurrection. And so uh, you have to just wonder maybe if they were kind of hanging back, possibly listening somewhat to the sermon. But as soon as they hear Peter say something about resurrection, okay, that's it. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like we're going to tolerate it up to up to that point. Um, it is interesting, and, and I had done some, some reading pre- previously about this, that in kind of the description of the temple and the courtyard and all of the various things that went along with that, uh, the Sanhedrin Council actually met, I did not know this, they actually met on the grounds of the temple complex. Which means that Peter and John may have been preaching just literally feet or yards away from where the Sanhedrin Council <laughs> normally would have assembled and would have met. That shows some, some gumption, yeah. uh, some boldness on their part. We're not worried about what these guys are going to think. Um, I, I don't think it's like intentionally like we're just looking to hack people off, but there's not concern about how these people are going to react because they know that they're, that they're preaching the truth, and they would have known as well that these would have been the very you know, authorities, Jewish authorities, that would have had the, um, you know, would have had the authority to be able to arrest them for uh, saying and doing such things. They'd already seen that happen with Jesus, and now here they're putting themselves in that same position. They're definitely not trying to run off in a corner somewhere and, and just, you know, this is secret and, and we're not going to say a whole lot about it in front of people who might get upset by the message. Right. Uh, they don't shy away from it. I, I, would, I would include the word boldness. I mean, you, you yep. see the boldness in, in what they do. That word's going to come into play later in this chapter. Right. Uh, but I think that it just really helps to see that they weren't afraid of, they weren't ashamed of the gospel. They were ready to share that uh, wherever they were and whoever was around. Yeah. Well, verse 3 goes on to say, I find this interesting. It says that they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Um, that passage or that verse actually says something here about the fact that um, about the, the, the law, the Jewish law at that time was that uh, because of the time of the day um, they really were not supposed to be trying cases and so forth, mm-hmm. which is funny to me because they didn't hesitate to do that with Jesus. Yeah. They didn't care to, to arrest him in the middle of the night and we're going to put him through this sham of a trial during the, the wee hours of, of the darkness. Um, but now here with the apostle, okay, we're going we're, we're gonna, to you know, pretend to follow the rules here and we'll wait until the next day uh, to actually try their case. Uh, verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Um, and that's the, the the good news in this. Even though here's our, here's some bad things that are happening to the apostles, um, we still see that the message is able to have its effect, regardless of what ends up happening to the messenger. Yeah, and it's it's really cool that that Luke throws these uh, just little nuggets here, uh, just occasionally everywhere, uh, just to see that you know don't forget the church is growing and mm-hmm. more people are coming to the Lord and more people are believing, even in this this time where Peter and John are arrested for spreading this message. Yep, it doesn't matter. Yep. It's still growing, and and I think the Lord's kingdom is encroaching on Satan's territory. We are um, we're actually seeing the fulfillment 
this really would be, I guess, the first instance of the fulfillment of what Jesus had promised and, and forewarned the apostles was going to happen. I actually have here pulled up my Bible, Mark 13, verse 11, when Jesus says that when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Jesus had let them know that, yeah, you, you're going to be arrested. There's going to be things like this happen, but um, don't don't be all wrought up and anxious about what to say and act. The Holy Spirit's going to be governing uh, your, your your words and the things that need to be uh, happening in that time, and we're going to see that uh, take place. Uh, you mentioned there at the end of verse 4 the, the, the specific mention of, of 5,000. So Luke here still early on in these first chapters, he's going to give like some numerical information um, to, to kind of let us know the exact, you know, some exact numbers about the growth of the church. Uh, that's going to start to give way here in a couple chapters. Yeah. He's not going to stop saying that the church grew, uh, or even by the time we get to Acts chapter eight, that the church, you know, had to to to, to separate and, and go in different places. Um, but he's just letting us know here at the beginning the the rapid wildfire growth of of Christianity in its infancy. Yeah, I think that that's this is one of the themes, one of the main you know themes that we see throughout Acts, and yeah. we're actually going to end up with that at the very very end, yes. um, and and how the gospel is continually uh, just spreading uh, through all these actions, and I, I think that hopefully we're we're looking at this and we're thinking, okay, what can I do to make that happen more? Mm -hmm. You know, are there things that I can be thoughtful about and ways that I can spread the message that will help it um, to spread, even in, in our day and time. Yes. Well, verse 5, so it's, it's now the next day. Let's resume the story. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. So we get a couple names here that if, if you went back and studied the you know, the trials of Jesus, here's some familiar names once again making their appearance. Verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Now, this was a question that uh, Jesus was asked before. Maybe in a, the wording was slightly different. But the question is essentially, By what authority are you doing these things? And... I will always say, regardless of the, the tone or the motives behind them asking that question, it's still a good question. Yeah. By what authority have you done these things? And that's a question that needs to be asked all the time. We need to ask that of ourselves. Uh, anyone who's involved in religious practices, we need to ask that. By what authority are we doing what we're doing? By what authority are we teaching what we're teaching and practicing what we practice or how we worship and all those things? Uh, where does that authority come from? If, if it doesn't come from God, then, then we need to reevaluate that. Um, but that's what they want to know. By what authority are you doing these things? Yeah, when I, I see that, I think it is a great question, and we definitely need to be asking that because, uh, you know, what are we basing our, our faith on, our belief on? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you imagine, what if you were Peter and John? If, if you were one of those guys and, and you have this, this council of people, some of the most, quote-unquote, important people to the Jewish faith, 
right there, the high priest, uh, people of high priestly descent. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are probably pretty intimidating guys, and they're they're coming at you with with this question of you know what, what power, what name are you doing this? You know, where's your authority? Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people just kind of cowering and, and being afraid and be like, well, I don't, I mean, I didn't mean to like disrupt anything. Yeah. Uh, and so we, a lot of people could have been intimidated by this, but I, I just love to see you know, what their response was. Yes. Um, well, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Uh, Let's just stop right there before we look at these last couple of verses of the the response. uh, but Peter just does not hesitate once again to yeah. point out uh, number one who 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 and where this power comes from. Number two to make sure to reiterate and, and you guys killed him. Uh, and then number three as well. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to say it to you all. You all maybe heard me say it to the crowd, but now I'm going to say it to you. God raised him from the dead. Yeah. There is such a thing as a resurrection. <laughs> uh, and it is by him that this man is standing before you well. Uh, the, the implication seems to be that the, the lame man, or the, the formerly lame man, he was there as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's just worth kind of noting and even commending that guy. Now, I, th- there's no indication that, that the lame man was, was arrested and, and brought here and was part of this. Uh, I, I take it that that man was there m- maybe of his own choice and volition. And if mm-hmm. so... That speaks to the faith of that guy, um, how he was, you know, he's not going to be the recipient of the, the kindness and the grace and mercy of God, and then he's going to go running and do whatever he wants to do now. Uh, no, I'm going to stand here as a, as a witness as well to the, to, to the power of God as was uh, performed through, through these men. So maybe we should take, take that to heart and think, okay, well, what, what kind of reaction should I have to the gospel, and, and what, what does it do for me? You know, is it just so I can be cleansed and I can be healed, you know, saved for my sin? Mm-hmm. No, it, it's more than that. It, it's, it's for the greater good. It's for sharing that yeah. and for, you know, what we can do for others as well. Think about the, uh, the occasion there was the ten lepers that Jesus healed. Mm. And, of course, nine of them, hey, they, they got blessed out of that, and then they went and did whatever they did. But then there was one guy who come back and he was uh, grateful for that and expressed his gratitude. And I can't help but think that not only did he come back and express his gratitude to the Lord, but he then went and would have shared that gratitude with others and told others about uh, how he had been cleansed and about about Christ. And Mm -hmm. that ought to be the natural response to um, whether it's a, a cleansing from leprosy or being healed from, uh, you know, being crippled, or more importantly for us today, being healed and cleansed from from sin, um, that ought to be the, the response. Um, but there's just once again, there's there's great boldness in in Peter's response here, as he's kind of the 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 spokesperson here for himself and for John on this particular occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, Verses 11 and 12, uh, these are just powerful words here. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The, the idea, first of all, of Jesus being there the, the stone and be, being made into the cornerstone, uh, th that's really a play off of language that is used often in the Old Testament where God is often referred to as, as a rock, as our rock, the rock. So many times in the Psalms that, that language is used. Mm -hmm. And Jesus here, very same way, being of God, being God in the flesh, he also is a rock, and he's a very important rock. The, the illustration here of, of the cornerstone, those who are uh, in the architecture field and in the construction line of business, they understand about the importance of, of a cornerstone. Uh, it's that first piece that you put down, and everything else is then built upon it, and everything else is measured by it. Um, and if you don't get that cornerstone put in the exact right spot, then the whole rest of the building could be, you know, crooked or, or, or messed up and may fall. Uh, Jesus is the perfect cornerstone, and he is the foundation upon which everything else is built, his church, his kingdom, and um, and, and that's the, the imagery that Peter's employing here to describe him. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of, um, you know, if you don't start with the right cornerstone, your building's not going to work out like it should. Seems like the the implication here is these Jews, the Sadducees specifically, were starting with the wrong cornerstone. Mm -hmm. You know, if you try to fit Jesus into a building you already sort of got, and you know, wherever I can find to put Jesus in my life, and you know, I, I can I can carve out some time here or there for Jesus, but you know, I already have stuff pretty pretty well under control. Yeah. Uh, and so just making sure that no, we we start from square one. We need to set him as the cornerstone, the foundation, yep. and then build our life around that. Yeah, it calls to mind the the parable of the builders, of the wise man and the foolish man, mm -hmm. and the whole the whole message of that parable. Uh, that, that the way that you can be a doer and not just a hearer only is by you start with the proper foundation, you start with Jesus and then everything else is built upon top of him and you can't when the storm comes I'm going to you know, slide me a foundation under there you know, right in the middle, that's not the way that that's going to work uh, we got to start with the right thing and in particular Peter says that, that Jesus was rejected by you, you, you you Jewish people, you were supposed to be the builders you know, you guys were supposed to, you leaders especially, you were supposed to be the builders of God's nation. Uh, you were the ones that God had entrusted and, and, and uh, made responsible to be the teachers and be the ones who would help people understand uh, what they needed to do and how they needed to live and God's great plan. And you failed. And that failure is summed up in the fact that you, you rejected you rejected the stone that you start with. And you said, no, we're going to start over here with some other stone. You were looking for something else. And, and of course, that, that's, of course, is the very reason that uh, they failed so miserably in response to God. This, of course, I, I, I wanted to mention, this is uh, taken directly out of uh, prophecy as well. Psalm 118, verse 22, where it had said that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we see Peter just again and again and again, he's just referring back to Scripture. You know, everything that he's saying, again, it's not just his own think-sos or brilliant ideas. This is thoroughly scriptural, the things that he's uh, preaching and teaching and even here in, in giving a defense. If you're keeping score, that's uh, he's four for four now in chapters yes. we've yes. seen him speak. four straight chapters of yeah. citing scripture, yeah. Uh, verse verse 12 is, is one of those great verses that you often see kind of quoted in, in, in isolation, and, and it works isolated, but it's really cool to know the context and in, in which he said this and the circumstances, that there is salvation in 
no one else. There's nobody else under heaven uh, that makes it possible for us to be saved. That, of course, eliminates all the other candidates that have been put forth throughout history uh, as being people whom salvation, people have attempted to find salvation in. Mm -hmm. That would include Muhammad, that would include Buddha, that would include the, the Krishna and whoever else or whatever else. Yeah, right. There's no salvation to be found in any of those things. And as well, uh, there's no fulfillment to be found in, in the other things that people today try to find you know, their own maybe definition of salvation in, whether that's in success or money or relationships uh, with, with other people. Um, th that's not where ultimate fulfillment and, and certainly salvation is going to be found. It, it, it's only in Christ. Yeah, and that's I think that that helps us to connect this. It wasn't just the Jewish leaders who had rejected Jesus and tried to build their their foundation on something else. We can do that too, and and a lot of people we do, and we don't start with Jesus as the cornerstone. We don't start with you know whatever Jesus says I want to do. Um, we we come into faith sometimes with preconceived notions mm -hmm. about what it means to be saved, how how to be saved. Uh, but if we really look at, and if it, it's important to us that Jesus is our cornerstone, we're going to let him do the talking and we are going to fit our beliefs around what he says yeah. and we are going to change to be like him. Yeah. You know, to, to repeat this verse in our modern times would be considered very offensive to, to a lot of people. Mm, it's so narrow-minded of us to say that. You're saying you can only be saved through Christ. Uh, I remember there was an episode of the Oprah Winfrey show. Pardon me for even knowing an Oprah reference. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was actually putting together some ideas for a sermon years ago, and I remember I came across a clip on YouTube uh, where she had a panel of, of guests of different r religious people from different religious backgrounds, and there was a man on the stage representing Christianity. And, and he just kind of emphatically stated what Peter said, and that is th there's only one way to heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. And, of course, all the other panelists were getting upset and arguing and there was lots of bickering. And then Oprah herself even got on the microphone and quieted everybody down and said, how dare you say that there is only one way to God? And that was, I guess, for, especially at the time, seeing it was kind of shocking because I thought Oprah espoused some form of, of Christian beliefs at least once upon a time. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was from years and years ago. Imagine you know making that kind of a statement today. That listen, there's only one way to heaven. It's through it's through Jesus. Uh, that that'll get you in some hot water. I mean, you got Peter in hot water here. Um, but but we need to have the boldness that he had to, to just say that uh, and and not shy away from. Hey, look, I realize we live in a very diverse culture here in America. It's the melting pot, and everybody's got all kinds of ideas. Uh, and, and I'm certainly not saying that people aren't entitled to their own beliefs or their own opinions, but don't expect me to pat you on the back and to say, oh yeah, that the, the way you're going about being saved and going to heaven, that hey, good for you. You take your road and I'll take my road and we'll all meet up in the sky someday. That isn't the way this works. That's not, that's not God's plan. No, that's not what he says. Not what no. he says. He is our cornerstone and that's it. Yeah. Well, verse 13. Um, so Peter's made some emphatic statements. Here's the response of the, the council here, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Here's my favorite thing, the end of verse 13. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It was the fact that just the, the, the way that Peter was speaking here, the conviction with which he spoke, the poise with which he said it, um, the, the, the level of, of, of uh, understanding, that spoke some things to these people. These people, some of these council members may have known you know, Peter and John and some of the other apostles from, from long before they started following Christ. And they may have just known, well, that's just the fishermen guys. You know, like, yeah, yeah. What do fishermen know? I want in, if I want some uh, tips of the trade on you know how to mend nets or you know what's the best food to catch crappies or catfish or whatever. Yeah, those are the guys to ask. But about you know matters of religion and uh, matters of you know, especially he, Peter's up here quoting the Old Testament. Uh, these are not the guys that that we would ask. But clearly, Jesus had rubbed off on these guys. And it was clear that these guys had spent, they'd spent time with Jesus and His influence had had just a marked change and difference upon their lives. And I love that because that's what I would like for, for my life, for people to just recognize about me. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm, I'm successful at that all the time, but I, I'd like for folks to see that, you know what, that guy's... That guy's clearly been around Jesus, not you know physically, but you know through his word and 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 through the other ways in which Jesus operates uh, through us today. That guy, that guy's a Jesus guy, and I can tell. There's yeah. things about the way that he talks and does things that just—it's eh, pretty evident he's a Jesus guy. And that's the goal, man. We we are trying to be like Christ, and we want to to shine the light of Jesus through our, our actions, through the way that we live. I mean, there's a little callback here to Acts 2 when everybody was amazed because of all the, the different languages that these untrained men were, were speaking. Mm -hmm. And here again, they're amazed uh, because these guys should not have been able to do what they were doing. Right. But they could because of, of what Jesus did. You know, how much more for us? You know, are there things that we should be able to do that we wouldn't have been able to do before because of Jesus? You know, uh, through our the way we forgive, through the way that we are, have compassion, and, mm -hmm. and we um, are, are you know taking care of those sorts of things. Bearing up under trial—that's been very evident. Mm -hmm. You know, with recent events, with um, tribulation, and when those difficulties come, the, the way God's people handle those things is generally just very different than the way the people of this world, you know, uh, there's the sorrow of the world, but we, we don't have the sorrow of the world in, in times of tribulation. And, and hopefully that allows people to see those, those folks are, those cats are different. Yeah. And hopefully the, the, the ultimate goal is hopefully it causes people to see that and say, I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. I want some of that. Mm. How do I get that? How do I get that? You know, the peace of mind that you have during those circumstances. How do I have the, the, the joy that you guys have uh, in those things? Um, and that's, that's where we get those open doors of opportunity. To uh, We've shined the light of Christ. Now, now we get the chance to tell people about the light. Exactly. I think this shows why it's important. The little things matter. Yes. And the things we do on a, on a daily basis, it, it really matters. Yes. You know, people see that. And um, it, it is, like you were saying, it's not about being seen. It's about showing others the way to the Lord. Yes. Um, and, you know, we, we can't take time off of that. You know, it's something that's constantly 
we're, we always have this opportunity. Yeah. There's a telling component to what we do, but there's a showing component as well. And, uh, and we want to you know, allow both those things to, to work in conjunction. Uh, verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, so here's, here's how we know for certain that that man was, was there with them, mm -hmm. the council had nothing to say in opposition. Yeah. Which, yeah, I guess in truth there was nothing uh, that they could say. They had kind of put themselves into that corner. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something about this that's just so cowardly. There's a, yeah. there's a, just a dishonesty and a lack of integrity in their own hearts to just, let's just acknowledge, yep, there's the evidence and there's only one conclusion for why we are where we are right hmm. now. And we see that so often. We saw that a bunch when you study the life of Jesus. Jesus would ask these kinds of piercing questions and would have a little bit of conversation. And instead of just honestly you know, confronting the truth, you'd get these moments of, well, just don't say anything, or we'll say some kind of cop-out thing to get out of, um, you know, recognizing what's really going on. Uh, and that's how I feel when I see this again. Like, you, you bunch of cowards. Yeah. But how often do we do things like that? Uh, it's know? true. It's, you know, we see, you know, this, oh, this, this scripture seems to say something that I, I've never been taught that. I don't believe that. And so mm, maybe I should just read somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, or, or we just sort of go on with it. Or, or somebody challenges our belief and, and, and says something and we start investigating it. And it's like, well, you know, maybe what they're saying has some, some truth to it. I just need to stay away from that person. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, no. <laughs> right. But find the truth. Yep. Um, and whatever that means for us, maybe we've believed something wrong our entire lives. Well, we need to have the humility to admit that. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we don't want to be like these guys. No, no. Um, th there's a reason we get, we get not only the examples of the, the, you know, the heroes and the good guys in the Bible, but we also get these negative examples, and that's so we'll... we'll not, you know, these, there's such a stark contrast. Here's Peter and John, and then here's all these Sanhedrin guys. And you read this, this story, and it's clear, I know I need to be on this side of things. This yeah. is the side of the equation that, that I need to be on. So what, where, where do I need to make some adjustments in my own life to where I, my life more clearly reflects uh, the, the example that Peter and John are, are setting up? Uh, verse 15, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Ah, yeah, so, <laughs> so here we go. All right, we can't deny it, but number one, we're not going to admit that to them. You know, oh, we're not going to just yeah. tell them, hey, yep, clearly... Jesus is risen from the dead, and clearly you're operating by His power. Uh, we're not going to just admit that out loud. Instead, we'll overhear, we'll huddle up, and we'll secretly kind of admit that to one another, to a bunch of kindred spirits, and we'll figure out the coward's way out. And the coward's way out here is we're going to kind of just slap them on the wrist, and we're going to tell them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. It's funny. They don't even say that. They don't even say the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Speak no longer to any man in this name. Yes. They didn't even want to say it. Yeah. Um, and we see that even just all throughout uh, that text there. Um, when it says there that, uh, verse 17, but order that, that it, 
right? We don't even want to say mm -hmm. yeah. this, this miracle uh, so that it may spread no further among the people. Let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in, in this name. And, and we're not going to utter the name of Jesus. And um, we, we've talked about this once before. Um, I, I found that to be the case sometimes when you get around certain people who they maybe have some measure of belief but they don't want to go all the way with it and many times you can tell that just in their language mm -hmm. and they will dance around ever saying anything that sounds even remotely biblical um, yeah. and just using clear Bible language you know clearly just invoking the name of God or invoking the name of Christ or, or some other biblical term and and you could tell it makes them nervous uh, mm -hmm. that if they did. And I think that nervousness and that lack of just vocalizing what they already know in their heart, but, but they're just not willing to get over the hump about, um, what that just demonstrates is that they probably recognize that they're not living right. Mm. And that they, um, there's something in their lives that they're not willing to change or they're afraid to change. And so instead, I'll just kind of skirt around and I'll use this vaguely semi-religious sounding kind of talk um, to somehow in some way kind of ease my conscience a little bit. Yeah. You know, somebody was looking out for you there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I remember talking to somebody once about, and this is a person who was not a Christian, and they were talking about some good things that had happened to them, and they just said, boy, I, I sure am blessed. And I then asked, blessed by who? <laughs> and they, did, they, they didn't answer. It was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say not. Yeah. But that happens, and that's, that's going on here with, with these guys. Um, so, hey, all right, we're going to tell these guys no more speaking in that name. Verse 18, so they called them, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, and this is funny, I mean, already, from what we've already seen of the boldness of, of Peter and John and these guys, you don't have to even read the rest of the text, and you can already know what's going to happen. I mean, we already yeah. know Peter and John are not going to stop being bold. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think, I wonder why the Sadducees even did that, because they had to know that it, they're not going to stop. Yeah. Maybe it's just to, in order to punish them a little more fully, we need to set a law in place first. And so if we tell them this now, then maybe later on, yeah. it, you know, we'll, get, we'll be able to trap them. Yeah. Well, and probably the other reason that they maybe didn't take a more extreme punishment here, at least from the get-go, was there probably was some fear of revolt from the people. Oh, yeah. And here you've got all these people. We're already told we're up to 5,000 now. Um, we got all these people, and they've witnessed you know the same evidence that we have and we're already been told that a bunch of these people have become believers um, that might put us in a compromising position if we get crossways with yeah. this growing um, group right verse 19 but Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I love that response because Peter just says, we can't help it. Hmm. I mean, we, we, you, you can't ask us to forget all the things that we've seen. You can't ask us to, to, to unlearn 
uh, and just you know hit control alt delete and wipe our memories of all of the things that we have come to know and we've become convicted about you know people just generally have a tendency to to talk about the things that are most important to them right and this was clearly the things that was most important to these guys for the previous three years of their life everything about their lives was consumed with following Christ and to now ask them to just just chuck that you know in the snap of a finger Peter says there's no way this is not gonna happen sorry yeah I, I wonder you hear some people uh, we read things like this and we're like you know what I'd be that kind of person now in the face of trial when somebody's confronting me and, and telling me no you can't speak about Jesus anymore you can't say that uh, that I'll be like, oh no I, of course I'm gonna speak but I hope I would. What, I hope, exactly. Yeah. But the, you think of it this way. What happens when people aren't saying these things to you? Yeah. Are, are we still saying anything about Jesus? Or yeah. are we shying away even when we don't have this confrontation? Yeah, we're blessed to live in a time and in a place where still generally, I mean, we, we don't face this kind of, of persecution. Yeah, I realize someone will say, well, but... You know, you can't invoke the name of God in this setting or, you know, mm -hmm. kids can't pray in school and, and all that. And maybe some of that's a little bit overblown, actually, but it is. Um, it is. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, all right, so, so we don't have these kinds of, of difficulties breathing down our neck. What's our excuse for not, for not speaking and yeah. saying the things that, that we have seen and heard? Now, mm -hmm. We, we've not seen the, the, the physical, you know, Jesus' body risen from the dead. We've not heard the, the literal words of Jesus coming off of his mouth. Uh, but through the eye of faith, we have seen and we have heard, and our lives have been shaped by that. That then should reflect in, um, in our efforts in, in the world today. Yeah, a lot of people talk about you know their life verse, uh, you know the verse that really stands out to them. Maybe verse twenty here should be you know it's a good one. we could look at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, verse twenty one. Uh, when the council had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than forty years old. So there's Ooh. our it cycles back to the beginning of. Uh, chapter three that we, we learned this this man had been afflicted with that problem for for a long time and there was just no way to you know here we've racked our brains to try to figure out it's like the magician who does the magic trick and okay there's got to be an explanation for this with this guy no there's no other explanation yeah. I mean, it had to have been something otherworldly something supernatural yeah and um and we see that, all right, we're giving some further threats. I'm curious to know what those further threats were. Um, yeah. Seems kind of weak. Yeah. It, evidently it was because um, we're, they're going to get right back at it uh, right here pretty quickly. Let's yeah. keep moving on. Verse 23. When they were released, Peter and John went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's a really long run-on sentence. <laughs> Verse 29, the prayer continues on. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's a great prayer um, for a lot of reasons. Um, number one, it's, it, it, it's very different than maybe a lot of the, the kinds of prayers that we pray today. Yeah. Right. So often our, our prayers are filled with very selfish requests. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and let me preface that by saying it's not wrong to petition God for things that we, we need or even things that we want. Yeah. Um, that's appropriate. There's, there's plenty of biblical precedent for that. But even the request that Peter makes here, and I'll, I'll, before he even gets to the request, the big first part of the prayer is just filled with, with praise for God and for who He is. And, and, and he quotes Scripture once again uh, in the prayer, which is always a great uh, kind of point to make that if you ever struggle for, you know, what should I say in a prayer, you can never go wrong with praying Scripture. Yeah. Um, he's a yeah. great example of that. Um, he's quoting from the Psalms once again. Um, so there's all these other things that are, that are part of, of that prayer before it even gets to the request. And then the request itself, it, it, it's, it's not selfish in nature as in this is something that we want that's going to benefit us. No, this was a petition for something that's going to benefit the kingdom. Mm. That's We're asking for boldness here, verse, verse 29, and, and help us to have that boldness so we can speak your word, God, not so we can prop ourselves up or make ourselves something great or we can say our own words. Uh, give us the boldness that, that, that is necessary for us to keep on keeping on just like Jesus did. Yeah. But, I mean, with all of this, I, I just keep coming back to Put yourself in that situation. What, what would what would you do? What have you seen people do when someone uh, is is going through something very difficult, some trying time? Uh, the first thing that they do here, it's like as soon as they heard this, verse twenty four, that's when they went to God in prayer. Mm -hmm. It's just immediately. It's like because obviously that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we forget until we just feel so hopeless and despaired, and, and we're like, oh well, I need to pray now. Yeah. No, just as soon as they. Have First line of defense. That's that's what they do, and sometimes you'll hear people say things like, um, you know, like the least you can do is pray. Oh yeah. Uh, that, in, in many ways, the, the the greatest thing you can do is pray. Yeah. Number one on the list. <laughs> it is. It, and I, I think we we just don't utilize that as much as we should. And uh, there's there's power here in praying together. It wasn't just mm -hmm. that they went off by themselves. No, they they gathered together and with one accord they, yes. they lifted up their voices and, and they were they were praying this together. And that's that's powerful too. But you also think, well. What would I pray for in this situation? And like you were referring to, I think it's sometimes we focus too much on the physical. Yeah. And, you know, just I, 
If, if we were faced with this, I don't know, I might think to pray, oh, well, how about these guys don't come after us? Yeah. Or uh, can you protect us? And, and we'll still speak, but can you like, get them out of the way? Yeah. Or, uh, God, can we just like go like down the road a little bit? We, yeah. we don't have to be like right here. Yeah. Uh, but none of that. No, it's, they were more concerned that they would have the confidence and boldness to continue. I, I think this speaks to an idea that's worth thinking about that, you know, it, it, it ought to cause us to examine what, what, what is our motives and our purposes in, in the request that we make of God. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if my kid comes to me and asks, Dad, can I have five dollars? One of the things I'm going to ask is, well, what do you want five dollars for? Yeah. If you just want five dollars to go, you know, spend on chocolate bars and soda pop, I'm probably not going to give you the five dollars, but if you've got like if there's a usefulness for that five dollars, I'm much more inclined to grant that request. And I wonder sometimes if if God, who's able to search our hearts and He's able to see our motives, if yeah. a lot of times the reason we get nose to our request is because God recognizes, yeah, you, you you've got some selfish reasons for for wanting the things that you're wanting. You know, it, when when I pray for a loved one, or even for myself in time of sickness to get better. Okay, that's a good thing to pray for. Why do I want to get better? Mm -hmm. Is it just so I can get better and I can go out and enjoy my life and have a fun time outside on a sunny day like this and, um, you know, be involved in pleasure and fun and um, frolic, frolic and play? Or do I desire better health so that I can be be of more use in the kingdom. Obviously, if you're sick, all right, that's going to damage your effectiveness in the kingdom uh, to a degree. Uh, is it is it my desire so that I can use this so that I can, you know, be the father that I need to be, be the husband that I need to be, be the kind of disciple that I need to be out in the world? Um, if I'm the father and I'm I'm listening to that request, there's just one of those motives that's just going to ring a little bit more loudly in my ears than than this other one. And um, and even though Peter doesn't, doesn't spell it all out entirely, it's clear that the motives here in this request uh, in asking for boldness is, is good. And that's why we're going to see here that, uh, well, there in verse 31, it's evident God answered the prayer. In fact, I, I would say God was eager to answer that prayer. <laughs> and do we really think, you know, if somebody asked for God, give us bold, give me the boldness to be able to proclaim your word to others. Do we really think that God's going to say no to that prayer? Right. Of course not. Uh, God is, I mean, that pleases God. First of all, just that you would think to ask that, and for that reason. And then he's just going to be, and how, how God accomplishes answering the prayer and, and fulfilling that request, that, that's for him to, to take care of. And I'll trust that he does that, and he'll do that well. He's really good at doing his job. Um, but I'm just going to have the faith and trust that when I asked, these kinds of requests, things that are within the will of God. I think about uh, th- that's kind of a qualifier that is, that is we kind of put that in our prayers a lot of times, you know, Lord, if it be your will. Mm-hmm. And, and I know why we do that. You know, if I pray for the sick to get better, if it be thy will, all right, I understand that because I don't always know the Lord's will. True. But I want to be able to pray about the things that I know are God's will. And there are some things that I can be certain are God's will, and one of them is this right here. Yeah, Being sure. able to proclaim His work, that is God's will. And so if I ask God for some assistance in doing that, 
He's going to be all over that and ready mm -hmm. to answer that prayer. And then I need to be ready to then, you know, when I receive the answer, I'm, I'm ready to then act upon it and do with it what I ask for. Yeah. How do we know what God's will is? Well, he tells us. Yes. And I think, again, that's why it's really important to do like they did here, use scripture. And, and the more we can do that and stay focused on that, um, the, the more we're going to be able to pray those things. You know, I've noticed even in my own life, the times that I, I've prayed and, and, and just really tried to, to pray for things that I know the Lord wants of me, um, it's amazing how quickly uh, and how obviously God answers that. There was a occurrence just yesterday, um, and this is my wife. She had been reading something, and, and there was something that was on her mind, and she was praying about it. Um, and within an hour and a half from when she prayed about it, can't give a whole lot of details here, but it, it was just something happened that it was just obvious. There's no other explanation. Yeah. You know, God was, was making that happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that here, you know, especially why did God show up in such a big way here? Uh, you know, he was showing them, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. You know, when you pray uh, according to my will mm -hmm. and, and you're doing the things that I want to do, I want you to know I am on board with that. Yes. And, you know, as the early church here, you know, we find a lot of firsts in the book of Acts. Well, that's what we're seeing here. What happens when God's people pray? He hears. Yes. And that is the promise of Scripture, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. That's not, you know, modern-day Christianity psychobabble, you know, and we hear a lot of that from televangelists and the abuse of, of that idea. Um, or some kind of a mystical thing. That, that, that's what the Bible says. Praying within the will of God, we can be certain that God hears and that God will respond. And I love the way that God responded in verse 31. <laughs> Shook the place where they were together. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we don't maybe always know the exact moment when God is responding to, to our prayer request. Mm -hmm. But... I would have liked to have been in that room on that occasion, and it would have been just neat knowing, whoa, look at that, we prayed, and God answered, and it's evident. There's no other, I mean, that would be the logical, obvious conclusion you would come to. Yeah. <laughs> so it says that they, they then were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with all boldness. We then have these last uh, few verses that wrap up chapter 4. Verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were as owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Let me stop right there just for a second because we'll probably end up kind of doubling back a little bit on these verses when we get into chapter 5 because, well, if I was in charge of making the chapter breaks and I was not, I wasn't hmm. consulted about they that. They didn't ask you. They didn't. Uh, this is where I would have ended chapter 4 at the end of verse 31 and chapter 5 would have began here in chapter 4, verse 32. But what we do see here is, you know, again, kind of the effect of some, some persecution and some hardship 
the result is, is it just causes God's people to, to, to bond even closer and tighter to one another. Um, there's the growth that we saw earlier, but, but now what we're seeing is just God's, it just it bonds people together. And that is what happens in times of suffering. Hmm. You know, you put a bunch of you know, young men in a foxhole with helmets and you know, guns, and they've got enemy fire and bombs going off all around them, those guys are going to bond together and, and form a brotherhood. And that's how that's often referred to. I think about the, the miniseries, Band of Brothers. Yeah. That's how you feel when you are in the midst of that kind of trial and, and, and suffering and your life is being endangered. And, and that was the response of, of these early Christians coming together. I love the expression there, verse 32. One heart, one soul. Man, what, what kind of great things could be accomplished if, if God's people, if that could be said of God's people today? Yeah, sometimes I think we let the devil isolate us. And we have, there's no greater danger than being isolated and, and feeling like you're by yourself and that sort of thing. How do we respond to those sorts of things? Well, we need to, to seek our brethren. When, and mm-hmm. Like they did in verse 23, 24, they, they came together and prayed together. And, and here we see an example of uh, not only did they pray together, but they Sharing put their, their money where their yeah. mouth is, literally. And they shared and they gave to each other. And, and as as you said, you know, James one, you know, consider it joy when we experience these because it it does help us to grow in our faith, and mm-hmm. we see the church grow in leaps and bounds here, not just in number, but uh, in in their spiritual concern for for those around them. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- this is probably you know a, a continuation of the things that we mentioned in chapter two about how you've got all these Jews that have that have come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast and they stayed for Pentecost and then um, they become Christians and the church begins and these people, well, we don't want to go home. Yeah. You know, they, they've traveled a long distance to be here, but now we've, we've, we've discovered something new and we realize the truth and the power in all of this and they're not in any eagerness to go back to their, their homelands and their home territories, but that does present just some very practical problems and that is all right, well, I didn't really bring enough clothing or food or uh, those kinds of things to last me for this long. Um, you know, and here's, here's all these people that would have normally been working you know, jobs by day. Well, now they're here in Jerusalem. We're all together, and you know, maybe they're trying to be available to do some work and things like that. But all that said, they're needing to rely upon maybe some of those folks who were hometown folks, Jerusalem folks, uh, to be able to uh, see to those physical necessities and needs. And that's what's going on. And you see folks willing to go out of their way um, to provide for those needs, folks that are actually willing to, to sell off pieces of property uh, in order to meet the needs of their brethren. And, and it's, it's neat to see that, and that happens even today. You mm-hmm. know, when tornadoes come and tear down people's houses, and you see brethren just rallying quickly to, hey, how can we help? Are there things I can give? Is there money I can provide? Is there just manpower I can uh, provide for those uh, circumstances? And um, and that's just uh, that's just a, a continuation of what we're seeing here in Acts the fourth chapter. It is. It even through this, th- this is part of the plot through Acts, and we're going to see that a little bit more as we go along. But uh, the the need that was there because the people had stayed, yeah, uh, and and we see that. 
even though this is a huge thing, and you just think, imagine how what that would look like if, if we were involved with something like that, and and the worries and the stress of, of not having, uh, you know, not knowing where your next meal is going to come yeah. from, and and just having to rely on the brethren, um, that's that's saying a lot. But yeah. throughout all this, the main emphasis is faith and and the spirituality behind it, um, and I, I think that that's just impressive. Sometimes I think we focus too much on our physical needs um, and, and we forget that the most important things are, are the spiritual concerns. Well, it comes back to you know what Jesus taught in Matthew 6 about when we seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things, they're yeah. going to be added to you. They're going to be took care of. And, and I'm reminded of what Jesus told the apostles that uh, you know, no one who's ever left you know, father and mother and, and all these other things, they're, they're not going to do without. You know, they're going to have you know, untold number of, of family members and lands and houses, etc., etc., and and here is an actual illustration of that happening. God's people uh, that you know, serving as God's hands uh, to provide those things uh, when they're needed. Uh, we will just notice real quickly there at the end of verse 35, the people, the practice was to bring those supplies, money, whatever it was, bring those to the apostles. The apostles were seen as being uh, reliable people that could then make sure those things would be distributed to the appropriate folks. Then in verse 36 and 37 we get this quick introduction, uh, but it most certainly will not be the last time we see this guy, but he is mentioned here. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, lots of descriptive things told about this guy, mm -hmm. he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, so here's the first mention of the guy that, that we will just know as, as Barnabas later on. And uh, Luke has a tendency to do that. We get these little glimpses like kind of a, a brief introduction and then they kind of disappear for a couple chapters and then all of a sudden, oh, they're, they're major players on the stage and that's just what he's doing here. And, and the, we're told a couple things here about this guy already, about his character. Uh, first of all, we see that he had the, the kind of generous spirit and care for his, his brethren to... Uh, bring these things to, to help. And then also in that, that name that he had been given by the apostles, uh, the name Barnabas. And, and it, we're told that it means son of encouragement. And I take this, to, this is more than just some little, you know, cutesy little nickname. Hey, little Barney, or, you know, or, you know, Buddy, or Husky, or whatever other kind of nicknames that we bandy about. Uh, this is a name that reflected something about this guy's. Uh, just lifestyle and his manner of life. And we will see that uh, as we work through Acts that this guy lives up to this son of encouragement uh, name that he's given in the various ways in which he goes about uh, offering encouragement. And that'll be worth us uh, highlighting the various ways that he does that. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting that, that we do see this little snippet here and that he's going to definitely play a, a role in this later. That son of encouragement, I, I mean, just think, have you known anyone in your life who fits that name? And I think all of us have at least somebody who's done that. Sure. And they really make a difference. And and sometimes that person who is making that difference for you, maybe they don't know what kind of encouragement that they're being and, and you know how, how much they're impacting you, but it matters to be encouraging. Yes. Um, and, and I hope we see that with him later. Yes, and that's why, and it's another reason, too, why we should never downplay you know, the role of being an encourager, mm -hmm. you know. Well, I, you know, I, I can't teach a class, or I can't lead singing, or etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, 
could you be an encourager? Mm. Because the Bible seems to indicate that that was a pretty important job that this guy was able to do, and the apostles took note of that, and it meant a lot to them. Yeah. And, um, and Have we'll you ever been discouraged about something? It <laughs> yeah. makes it hard to, to continue. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the other reason probably that, we're, that Luke chose to introduce him right here is to put him in stark contrast to the people we're going to meet in chapter 5. And right. so we'll just kind of leave that as the cliffhanger for chapter 4, um, and we'll, we'll resume that next week when we talk about Acts chapter 5. Last word, though, on Acts chapter 4 before we wrap it up. Man, I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. That's a little crazy, but guys, I just I'm excited. This is this is great. I think we're learning a lot about what the early church looked like and and how to be the Christians that they were, and that's just just amazing. And so, just want to encourage each, uh, all of you to uh, just keep studying. Yep. All right, we're looking forward to talking about Acts chapter five next week and keep working through this this marvelous book of the Bible.